Hello and welcome to a special Lancet podcast on Monday, July the 20th. My colleague Pam Daz interviewing Dr. Stefan Barral, who is a research fellow at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. They are discussing a review published online by The Lancet on July the 20th about the HIV epidemic among men who have sex with men in sub-Saharan Africa. Please note that Dr. Burrell is not an author of the paper. Over to my colleague Pam Daz. Dr. Burrell, can you tell me what makes the epidemic among men who have sex with men in Africa so unique? And how does it compare to other low-income settings? One of the things that makes the HIV epidemic among gay men and other MSM in Africa unique is, is just how recently it's been recognized. The dynamics of the epidemic may or may not be that different than in other settings. Um, but, you know, and, and part, of, part of the issue is that we just don't know very much. So the publication that uh, The Lancet is presenting or is publishing this week is going to be very helpful in, in starting to stimulate more information to be gathered. Now, in terms of what makes it unique, there's both individual level drivers of, of HIV as well as structural level drivers of HIV. You know, individual level drivers of HIV range from, you know, unprotected receptive, receptive anal intercourse, uh, general ulcer diseases, as well as a variety of others that have been well established throughout the years. And those likely hold true, you know, whatever region or whatever level of economy that you're speaking about. It's more the structural, structural level drivers of risk that likely differ. So, for example, across most of Africa, outside of South Africa, same-sex practices are criminalized. In the context of criminalization, it makes it very difficult for community-based organizations to do outreach to gay men and lesbian women, women who have sex with women. As well, there's very significant homophobia, which as well limits these programming. There's obvious human rights context in our own studies, and as is reviewed in the paper, there's a significant amount of violence, but also exclusion from national health programs and national strategic plans related to AIDS. There's low levels of condom availability where same-sex practices are taking place. And importantly, gay men and other MSM are excluded from national surveillance programs in most African countries and are just now starting to be introduced in some based on some of the data that our group and other groups have been collecting. Importantly as well, there's really no sexual health education programming uh, targeting high school level age men and women in Africa, outside of South Africa, talking about specific issues of gay men and lesbians that would help them protect themselves when they're engaging in these practices. And so th- these sorts of things, you know, in terms of, we know very well, for example, that LGBT friendly, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender friendly HIV counseling and testing programs are good at increasing uptake of HCT among, among these populations. But there's no, except for in Kenya and Zambia and a few examples, there's very few of these programs across the continent. There's little targeted antiretroviral access for those that are HIV positive. So th- there's a variety of these sorts of factors that are at play here that, that likely make the epidemic among MSM in Africa one that's going to continue as compared to sort of being curbed in any way in, in the foreseeable future based on what's happening now. And in other regions of the world, like sort of Latin America, um, what, what are the, 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 the issues there that contrast it with that of Africa? So, I mean, you know, what's interesting in Latin America is that we're likely seeing a, a reconcentration of the epidemic among MSM in, in that area, so Latin America specifically. You know, in Latin America, there's, you know, the, the groups that are at risk tend to be female sex workers and gay men. And there is an element of heterosexual risk, but it's likely, you know, prevalence studies have told us and incident studies have told us that really it's female sex workers and MSM that tend to be at risk. 
Yet a lot of the programming, outside of a few key examples, tends to be targeted at the heterosexual contact, and rather at you know rather than targeting MSM. It's a really important component that the rest of Latin America learn from countries like Peru and Mexico, where these programs have really been funded in a way that's consistent with what the epidemiologists told us about disease burden. And so, you know, the leadership of Dr. Jorge Saavedra in Mexico, previous uh, head of Sencida there, really made that a, a primary focus and, and really allowing the policy to focus uh, on what the epidemiologic results told us. But the same has been true in, in Peru under the leadership of Dr. Carlos Caceres and, and Dr. Jorge Sanchez and others, really allowing the programming to follow the epidemiology. What we can see from a, a recent report that was published by the Health Policy Initiative and USAID is even in this context, the funding in most of Latin America for MSM programming is really not in line with what the epidemiology tells us that the burden of disease is. So I think that we really need to work on, on balancing prevention expenditures with the epidemiologic data. Some of the practical steps that are being discussed to tackle the problem in these settings, what are you and others wanting to see happen? I think what we really need is a, is a global response you know, with, with local leadership. So there's, there's a few different initiatives that are undergoing and, and that are exciting and, and, and should result in very positive things. First of all, the, the UNAID system, the UN system in general actually, has, has promoted UNDP, the United Nations Development Program, as the global leader for MSM programming. So under the leadership of Dr. Jeff O'Malley, you know, they're really looking at taking that lead role and being the coordinating body for um, all health matters related to MSM, and also not just health matters, but really human rights contexts related to MSM. And given that we know that human rights contexts are so intricately linked to disease risk, I think that, you know, over the years as they, as they continue these efforts, we're going to see some mitigation of that risk. Another thing that's happened is that the AMFAR, American Foundation for AIDS Research, recently pulled together a series of social scientists, epidemiologists, biomedical prevention experts, as well as some community members, and looking at how a collaborative team can pull together a program that has its basic components in prevention, research, and surveillance to really look at, first of all, filling in the maps. Second of all, once we've filled in the maps, understanding what are the specific initiatives that need to take place in each country or each region or each continent that will address that risk. And then finally, enacting those programs and engaging with local governments to do that. You know, one of these key um, limitations is, 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 this context, is, this, is this concept of criminalization. And we know that this is a real risk. In Senegal recently, in December of 2008, uh, eight providers of, uh, who are both MSM providers as well as gay men themselves were arrested for being gay. Uh, there was another recent set of arrests in uh, just last month in Senegal of gay men. So, you know, these are very real risks to these men and as well their health service providers. So we really need to look at social stigma and criminalization as key drivers of risk because what they do is really limit our ability to provide care. The other main issue is that most of the world still remains unmapped in terms of MSM outside of high-income settings. You know, in Africa we have data from approximately a quarter of the countries. And each country has very specific dynamics, and that's very different. And one country's epidemic among MSM is not going to be representative of the country, even, even its neighbor country. And then finally, like I said, really looking at prevention research among MSM. So there's new initiatives, both biomedical, such as 
rectal microbicides, looking at having MSM included in HIV vaccine trials in lower-income settings, as well as more behavioral, so looking at behavior change among MSM. One of the things that we know is that, you know, in a lot of these lower-income settings, there's such an expectation to get married and have a girlfriend that most of these men will also have female partners, you know, relating to really high rates of bisexual concurrency. Looking at how we can, you know, include gay men in behavior change communications aiming at decreasing concurrency programming across, for example, the African context is, is really important. And it's just something that's been ignored to date and something that we're trying to, to highlight. So I think it really needs to be a, a, a comprehensive global-led leadership that's going to engage, you know, the governments of each country and that's going to make them take part and, 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 and care about the work that's ongoing as well as making sure that we engage the community member in each of these settings so that we understand that community's needs. And finally, just as one more point, I think that the Global Fund for AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria has really taken some very positive steps um, in terms of looking at how sexual minorities can be better included in their programming. So, for example, they enacted the sexual minority strategy this last year, which really, uh, you know, enforces that, you know, countries that put in either through the country coordinating mechanism or through regional proposals should pay attention to the needs of sexual minorities in their own proposals. So I think it's those sorts of elements, making sure that there's, you know, both carrots and sticks. So both carrots in terms of better funding um, and as well as sticks, that making sure that appropriately, um, I should say that, you know, that these programs, that these populations are being addressed appropriately. Two recent publications, one in the Journal of Epidemiology and another paper co-authored by yourself and others in Current Opinions of HIV-AIDS, paints a pretty grim picture of the global epidemic among men who have sex with men. And they actually show both these papers a resurgence of the HIV epidemic in the developed world. Could you comment on what we're seeing and why efforts are failing this population and what should be done about it? I think that there's lots of things at play. One of the things that you know, in both the effort that I was part of, led by Dr. Fritz van Greensven, as well as the effort led by Dr. Sullivan and others at the CDC. One of the things, you know, we, we looked at overall country dynamics and, and weren't able to, because of space limitations, time limitations, really look at dynamics within each country. So I think there's a few things at play. One of them is that there's likely an element of higher risk among lower-income MSM, and, and in some of these settings, lower-income MSM relate very closely to racial disparities, and so we have to better learn how to address the needs of minority MSM. And we've seen higher rates when, when, we've, when it's been looked at and analyzed in that way. We've seen much higher rates, for example, in the U.S. among black and minority ethnic MSM as compared to white MSM. And Dr. Millett and others have published, you know, a really interesting paper looking at why that is, if it's related to risk-taking practices or if it's, or if it's you know, if there's other... Uh, hypotheses at play. And what they've really, the conclusion of a systematic review published a few years ago found that the only thing that was really putting black MSM at more risk in the U.S., for example, was having more sexually transmitted infections like syphilis or gonorrhea. And then they were also less likely to be HIV tested. And, and both of these were likely markers of poor interaction with the healthcare system. So it wasn't that they had more high-risk sex or they were, they were, it was more on the down lower that they were less gay identified. So I think there's that whole element of making sure that we're really understanding the racial and economic disparities of the MSM epidemic in higher income settings. Secondly, I think there's a real element of treatment optimism among MSM. So I work as well in a, in, in a healthcare clinic where we serve predominantly the needs of MSM in Toronto. 
And, and we find that, you know, among younger MSM that haven't experienced their counterparts live through AIDS or die of AIDS because of very effective treatments, there is that element that HIV might be more of a fact of life rather than something that they really want to avoid. You know, in order to move forward from that, there's a few things. Like I said, one thing is really engaging, you know, lower income populations of MSM and engaging, making sure that they're included in all programming because that's likely been missing and, and definitely in some areas to date. And the second thing is, is really engaging the community of younger MSM and understanding what their needs are and how, you know, we can better address them. So there's a variety of youth advocacy groups among gay men and lesbian women that, that we really need to better engage to make sure that we're understanding their needs and as well how we can better deliver prevention programming to them. Because inherently risk, you know, sex among men is not a risky behavior. You know, that risk is really contextualized by HIV. We really have to look at how we can, you know, either do harm reduction, so decreasing risk associated with these practices, or finding ways to, to make sure that the high-risk practices, such as unprotected receptive anal intercourse or, you know, not using lubricants or using petroleum-based products while having sex are avoided. Or even simple things like making sure that we do STI syndromic surveillance and treat STIs appropriately because we know that's a major risk factor. Thank you very much, Dr. Burrell. This is really needs to be a global effort, and I think that you know the leadership that we're seeing by organizations like UNAIDS, UNDP, the Global Fund, and now the Lancet in publishing these sorts of papers is really going to take us far, so we're all very excited about this. Many thanks to Dr. Stefan Burrell and Pam Daz for that interview. Our next podcast will be coming out on Friday, July the 24th. See you then.